Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here. Um, as you've already heard, this is the first part in a two-week series on spiritual encouragement, and today is Spiritual Encouragement, the Ministry of Barnabas. And so today we're going to be in, chaps, uh, in Acts chapter 4, starting there. So you can turn there, but we're also going to be in a few other places in the book of Acts. So over this last year, I bet that most of you, if not all of you, probably everybody, certainly including myself, has been in need of encouragement. Is that true at all? Okay, good. A few of you for sure. But what's great to know is this, that God knows that. God loves you. And God says this in his word. He says, encourage each other daily and encourage one another and build each other up. And he says, anxiety in a person's heart weighs it down, but a good word cheers it up. But when a student has someone in their lives that believes in them, and when a marriage is struggling and gets help, and when a, a young single woman moves into a new city and finds a new friend group, or when a man who's 70 years old moves into a retirement community and is welcomed, then we know in every single one of those situations, for that to have happened, there was an encourager. But we live in a world that is broken and those things don't always happen. There's not always encouragers when we need them. Our world, our community, uh, even in our church, we need encouragers. Encouragers are our friends. Encouragers are our mentors. They're people that make disciples. They're our, our, our teachers, our Sunday school teachers. Uh, those who counsel us, to name just a few. And today we're going to be, uh, like I said, in the book of Acts. So in the New Testament, we're going to look at one of these encouragers, and his name is Barnabas. So right away, in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, we'll go there now, Luke, the author of Acts, introduces Barnabas for us. And here's what he says. He says, thus Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. We'll stop there. Because what, we're no, what we get to know so far is that Barnabas is a Jew. He's of the tribe of Levi. He's from the island of Cyprus. But what's really interesting right here is what the apostles see in him. And because of this, they call him son of encouragement. He has the spiritual gift of encouragement. So they call him son of encouragement instead of Joseph, for Barnabas lives up to his name, and we're going to see that. First, though, uh, spiritual gifts are these, uh, and you may or may not have heard of these before, but if you haven't, they're what we get when we come to faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit gives believers spiritual gifts. But regardless if you have the spiritual gift of encouragement or not, we're all called to encourage Regardless if you have the spiritual gift of evangelism or not, we're all called to evangelize. So we let people know what Christ has done in our lives. When we evangelize, we ask people, do they know Christ? We let people know how Christ has transformed us and invite them to receive Christ as Savior also. But what I love about uh, this gift of encouragement that we see in the Bible, which is also called exhortation is this. It means called alongside to help. Called alongside to help. I love that. Encouragers build the church and amplify the gospel. And that's going to be our main point today. Encouragers build the church 
and amplify the gospel. And so today that's where we're headed and our prayer is that for the church here will be an encouraging body and we will build one another up as the gospel goes out. Our first point then is encouragers relieve suffering. Suffering like in the early church where there were shortages of food, they didn't have enough to eat, sickness and so on. And, and we see that even today in our church. Uh, we're gonna be in Acts chapter four still. If you look at Acts four, what we see here is Peter and John, just to give you context, Peter and John have been preaching the resurrection of Jesus. And they're being threatened. They're being threatened by the leaders and they're telling them to stop. And then they told them to stop again. But Peter and John are not listening. They continue to preach the resurrection of Jesus. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has given them courage. The Holy Spirit is empowering them. Verse 33 says this in Acts 4, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. But in addition just to the courage, there was remarkable unity as they were taking care of all those who had need, those who were suffering. In fact, uh, this is so amazing what was happening in the early church. Luke decides to write this. He writes this in verse 34. He says, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. So specifically, they're bringing the proceeds, the property sales to the apostles. The apostles are distributing them because they know who needs it. And when it means laid at the apostles' feet, well, that's their resources that they're laying at the apostles' feet. What amazing love what amazing trust, and what amazing unity in the church. They voluntarily did this. They weren't compelled to do it by any one, any one person. They did it out of their love for God and the love for the brothers and their sisters. Uh, what they didn't say to themselves is something like, well, what's yours is everyone's. No, they didn't say that. What they're thinking in their hearts is, what's mine is yours because I love you. Amazing. This generosity, this kind of love is amazing. They're probably thinking, well, God gave me these abundant resources. How can I relieve suffering in the church and in those around me? Encouragers relieve suffering. And, and Barnabas is a great example. What I find really interesting is the first thing that Luke says that, he, that Barnabas does or did is this. Barnabas also sold property and gave the money and put it at the apostles' feet to relieve suffering. This is a, Barnabas is like a highlight reel for Luke. Look at verse 37. So it's Barnabas, again, we're talking about, here's what Barnabas did, also sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, cares deeply, cares deeply. And it's generous. And I think this gift of encouragement, or for all of us, when we encourage, there's this idea of, of caring deeply and being generous with what God has given us. Barnabas brings hope. Barnabas brings hope where there's little hope. Barnabas brings, uh, builds up the church and gives what he has to help those in need. But what's kind of funny, but yet not funny, 
is what Luke does in Acts chapter 5. And we're not really going to go there, but there's this story you may be familiar with, this couple, this married couple, Ananias and Sapphira. And there's just a stark contrast here. We've just seen Barnabas, this honest, this man who's very, um, very generous in what he does. But then you see the selfishness and the dishonesty of this couple who also sold property, also laid the proceeds at the disciples' feet. They said they did anyways, yet they held some back and they lied. So one thing I think that Luke's doing here is just highlighting this honesty of Barnabas against this stark contrast of what we see in Ananias and Sapphira. Well, there's this uh, couple friends of mine used to be part of this organization called Barnabas Group. I don't know if you've heard of it, but what they did is they would get together with Christian ministries And what they did is they would listen to these Christian ministries and see how they could help them out. Now, no, this is not just about funding. That's not what they did. It was not just about funding. These business leaders, these brothers and sisters in Christ would hear what they need, and sometimes they would just offer their marketing skills or other types of business needs to these Christian ministries. But what's amazing, what my friend told me, is that of all the great work that these ministries were doing, what was really amazing is how the business leaders' eyes were opened, were opened to what God could do in them and through them with the resources that they had in so many different ways, how they could meet needs of those who had it. And so that leads me to this bit of an invasive question that I've asked myself this week. And this question is, what do I have and why do I have it? What do you have? And why do you have it? Now, that's not a question maybe that works in every group. It's not a light conversation topic or question, obviously. But maybe tomorrow, when you eat for breakfast with a friend of yours, or maybe that's the Tuesday breakfast, maybe that's a question with someone you trust. What do I have and why do I have it? I know if you're a married person, then maybe with your spouse, it's a great thing to ask. And then ask God. Ask God, pray about it. And maybe, maybe this week even, you can be an encourager to someone with what God has given you. In Barnabas' life, the gospel cured him of the sin, the separation, the shame, and the suffering of being apart from his God. And I think because of that, it was very easy then for Barnabas to look to the suffering around him and to use what he had to live out the gospel in tangible ways. Encouragers build up and encouragers promote, proclaim, and amplify the gospel. Barnabas had a proper perspective on on money, on property, and this son of encouragement was a deeply, deeply caring man. He loved people, he loved his God, and so he was generous. The second thing today, moving to the second point, encouragers see potential. Now, Barnabas didn't give up on people. Barnabas saw potential in people. There's two places I want to go. First, let's go to Acts chapter 9. We're going to see that Barnabas saw potential in Paul. And then we'll go to Acts chapter 15. We're going to see that Barnabas saw potential in John Mark. John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark. Yes, them. So the son of encouragement was used by God to lift these men up. And the rest is history. Now in Acts chapter 9... Um, we're going to be talking about Saul here. Now, we're not, if you're not familiar with this, but in the Old Testament, yes, there was a Saul. We're in the New Testament, Saul, also known as Paul. So when I say 
Saul here, think of Paul. Acts chapter nine, verse one says this. But Saul, meaning Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, against the church. So Paul was a zealous and he was a devout Jew and he was persecuting Christians before he became a believer. Earlier, you might recall this, earlier in Acts chapter seven, he was there when Stephen was stoned to death. Also in Acts chapter eight, you see he's described as Paul is, as dragging off both men and women, these were Christians, and putting them in prison. And the early church was afraid of Paul. But amazingly, in chapter nine, you see that Paul becomes a Christian, a wonderful confrontation. The Lord Jesus Christ brought him to himself in faith, amazing. And he commissions Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And then you see in verse 20 in chapter nine that Paul really was converted. He was really preaching. It says he was preaching in the synagogues that, synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. And the Jewish leaders tried to kill him. Paul now is risking his life to preach the gospel. Acts chapter nine, verse 26 you'll see that Paul is returning to Jerusalem and the disciples were there and they were afraid. Look what it says. Well, by the way, I'm sure Paul didn't get any Christmas or Hanukkah cards for sure from any of the disciples. Verse 26 says this, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, this is Paul, and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But look at verse 27. It says, but Barnabas, took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord and spoke to him and how at Damascus he, meaning Paul, preached boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Barnabas vouched for Paul and he convinced the disciples that Paul had converted. So Paul's name, which means son of encouragement, proved that to be for Paul. Paul saw potential. Barnabas saw potential in Paul. Can you imagine being Paul? I mean, maybe with your, previously with your Jewish friends, you had your community group. You met with your community group. You had snacks, fellowship, scripture reading, uh, group prayer. Did I say snacks already? Snacks, I love snacks. And then, in case you want to know. And then barbecue, maybe. Beef, not pork. Wonderful time. That was then, but now all gone. His community group is over with his Jewish friends. It's all gone. He's on the outside. But the son of encouragement welcomed him in to the disciples' group. You know, building bridges takes strength. And it's an error for us to think that encouragement or that the spiritual gift of encouragement is a weak gift. Not at all. It takes strength to build bridges and to see potential in people and to work through that, to love people that much. Barnabas brought him into their circles. Well, it wasn't just Paul that Barnabas saw potential in, it was John Mark as well. Acts chapter 15, you can turn there. Acts chapter 15, verse 39. Let me give you the context. So Paul and Barnabas 
are together. They're planning their second missionary journey. And Barnabas wants to bring John Mark along again like they did for their first missionary journey. But Paul said no. Paul said no. And Barnabas wanted him to come. But Paul had a problem with John Mark. You might recall if you know the story, in the first missionary journey, John Mark bailed on them. He left. He left on their journey. He went back to home. He went back to Jerusalem. Paul didn't like that, but Barnabas was willing to give John Mark a second chance. Acts 15, 39 says this, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark, meaning John Mark, with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed. The disagreement was between Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas believes that there's more in John Mark than Paul sees. Barnabas was unwilling to leave John Mark behind. And so they traveled and and Barnabas took John Mark with him and Paul took Silas with him. That risk that Barnabas took on John Mark, if you want to call giving someone a second chance a risk, it paid off. It paid off because a little later on, you're going to see really what's happening is Barnabas is discipling John Mark. And wonderful things are happening in John Mark's life. So much so that you'll see later on in a couple of letters that, um, or you'll see in actually the book of Timothy, Paul writes a letter to Timothy and he says this. He says this about John Mark. He says, get Mark, he's telling Timothy, Paul is, get him and bring him with you for he is very useful for me in ministry. That's two thumbs up from the Apostle Paul. And Barnabas made that happen because he saw potential in John Mark. So John Mark has been discipled. Wonderful things are happening through the ministry of John Mark. And now John Mark is doing kingdom work. Barnabas made that happen. He saw the potential. Encouragers like Barnabas see God's grace before they see men's failures. They look for people. They see potential in them. They look beyond the failures. They see what God has for them in the future before they look at the failures. The gospel reminded Barnabas that his merciful savior gave him what he didn't deserve, a second chance, third chance, fourth chance. So it was easy for Barnabas to look at men like Paul and to look at men like John Mark and give them a second chance. He hasn't, and he didn't give up on John, Mark, or Paul, and God hasn't given up on you either. Third thing, the third way that encouragers build the church and amplify the gospel is by handling conflict, and not just handling conflict, but handling it well and staying on mission. We're gonna stay in the same text and we're just gonna go over that quickly again, but Acts 15, 39. So this is the disagreement, this is the conflict. And again, the conflict is over John Mark. Let's bring him, let's not bring him. That's the conflict. Was there a moral failure? It didn't seem like it. it didn't seem like there was a moral failure happening here or some kind of doctrinal issue that's important, not at all. Remember, these are just two men, Paul and Barnabas, and they're failable. But Luke is highlighting Barnabas here and what happened in this. So there's something, I think, to learn here. Verse 39 says this. 
We're looking at it again. And there arose, there it is, the sharp disagreement, a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark and sailed away to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed. And it goes on to say, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So what did these two men do? Paul and Barnabas, number one, they stopped fighting. Number two, they, they made their decision on what they were going to do. And number three, they acted on it. Not out of spite. They weren't backstabbing each other. They simply did what they thought was right before God, what their conscience told them to do. And they went about their missions. Paul went on his mission with Silas to strengthen the churches, and then Barnabas took John Mark, and they went and did the same. So I think we can learn something from these guys. The, the handling of conflict, well, let's at least remember this, the handling of conflict is a great way for us to encourage people around us, how we do that. But three things emerge for me, and I'll list a few here. The first is expect conflict. Expect conflict. Here we have two godly men. They were loved by the churches. Uh, Paul and Barnabas went around. They had amazing and effective ministry. People were saved. They were persecuted, and they were loved greatly. But they parted ways. I mean, they really disagreed with each other. They parted ways. So if that happened to them, shouldn't we expect conflict in our lives or in the church? I think, I think it's inevitable, and that's kind of my point. Expect it. Expect conflict. You know, some of us grew up in homes maybe where uh, peace was such a high value that we often took conflict and just stuffed it. Maybe you know what I'm talking about, maybe you don't, but some of you probably know what I'm talking about. And if that's the case, stuffing conflict over time, you know what that has done in your life today. It hurts in relationships, uh, it hurts in communication, it hurts in so many different ways. You know, the, the same is true in the church. It's good to remember that conflict is not the end of the world. Right? And handling conflict in a great way or handling it well is a great testimony to Jesus Christ. We can extend grace to others through conflict. We can forgive each other in conflict. And if we work well through conflict together, we can build a new level of trust that didn't exist before. It's amazing. Another thing we can do, second thing, is we can be at peace. We can be at peace. Paul was at peace, apparently, with Barnabas. If you look at a few other letters of his, you'll see that he speaks positively about Barnabas. No final jabs, no you were wrong, no snarky comments by the Apostle Paul. Remember, Jesus said this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. As followers of Jesus, we strive and we move towards peace. And the third thing is, out of this, I think, in handling this conflict well, is to stay on mission I mean, Paul and Barnabas did. Yes, they parted ways, but neither one of them strayed from the mission of the gospel. Why? Because I think what they did is they saw the mission as bigger than the men. Do you, students, do you women of God, do you men of God see the mission as bigger? I hope and I pray so. The mission is to strengthen the church. The mission is to move forward with the gospel. Encouragers build up the church. They proclaim the gospel. They amplify the gospel. But what's really, really cool in this passage here is it's not just 
Paul and Barnabas that stayed on mission. What did God do? God created two missionary teams out of one. So even through conflict, even through conflict, God does good because scripture says all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We stay on mission, even in conflict, and God does amazing things. The gospel reminded Barnabas to stay on mission, even through conflict. He knew that his Lord Jesus stayed on mission, even to the cross through conflict. I think that made it possible for Barnabas to strengthen the churches and to not be distracted from his mission as well. So here's a question. Am I avoiding conflict? Or am I in the middle of conflict even right now? And can I be an encourager to someone else? Can I be the one who encourages this, the people in this conflict? Can I be the one who brings grace? Can I be the one who extends forgiveness? Can I be the one willing to build the church up to a point where we can come to a new level of trust in love? The fourth observation that I want to make here is just encourage your strength in souls. And this is Acts chapter 11, so that's where we'll go next. Acts 11, back a few pages. This is perhaps the most obvious that encourages strength in souls, right? I mean, we, we want to invite encouragers over to our parties, right? I mean, they always seem to have a good word and bring some hope, say the right things, these encouragers. But encouragers, it's important to remember, encouragers do two things. They go encouragers, and they exhort. And we're going to handle both of those things. Goes, there's this extreme willingness in the life of Barnabas to go. The church asked him to go do things several times. What did he do? He went. Every time he goes, Barnabas has a spiritual gift of encouragement. He loves to do this. Come alongside people to help. That's what he does. Luke writes in 11, this is verse 22, the report of this came, what's this report? Well, in the church at Antioch, amazing things were happening. God was doing amazing things. It's not just Jews, but a lot of non-Jews were coming to faith in Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, who really was for everyone. It was amazing what was happening there. This report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. God was working in amazing ways there, so they wanted to send somebody to investigate. So who did they pick? Barnabas. And Because encouragers always go. There's no such thing as an encourager who's in the corner staring at the wall. That's not what an encourager does. An encourager goes. Whether we have the spiritual gift or not of encouragement, we're called to go where God sends us. And what kind of character does this man have? I like Verse 24, what it says about the character of this man. It says that he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and of faith. So apparently he had a good reputation, and apparently he was a man of faith, and everybody knew it in Jesus, but full of the Holy Spirit means he lived an obedient life. It wasn't just that he's indwelt with the Holy Spirit, as we all are when we come to faith in Jesus, but being full here means he's walking by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, because he's obeying God. And so he's a man everybody sees. He's full of the Holy Spirit, and Luke wanted us to know that. So he was willing to go, an obedient man sent by the church. What an amazing example. Encouragers strengthen souls. That's our fourth point. 
So first, encouragers go, as I just said, but they also exhort. That's an interesting word. Some of the Bibles you might have have a translation of the word encourage. That's fine, but let's look at that word. So Barnabas, now he's in Antioch at the church there. This is verse 23. It says this, when he, meaning Barnabas, came and saw the grace of God there at the church in Antioch, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. The idea here, again, of exhort is to come alongside somebody. Can you imagine that? What does that look like in your life to come alongside someone? This is what he's doing. He's present. He's present with them. He's, he's giving joy, yes. He's encouraging, yes. But he's also urging them. Now, there's an end to this urging, right? What does that verse say? To remain faithful followers of Jesus Christ. There's this urging, this loving urging. A teacher might say, this is the way you should go. An encourager says, I will help you go this way. Exhortation or encouragement, however, has another aspect. It's not just this urging. It's not just this strong coming alongside and, and you can do this. It's not just that. It's consolation sometimes, right? It's comfort sometimes. Encouragement includes applying the right kind of encouragement at the right time. Sometimes when we bring comfort, we do that and we help most by being gentle. A friend of mine his wife died from a very aggressive, very brutal form of cancer. Many people, for quite a while, who were meaning well, they didn't mean anything bad, but they, they told him what he should feel. They told him what to read. They told him what to do. And they often said, I know what you're going through. And my friend said that that often hurt more than it helped. One of his friends just mowed his lawn. Another friend cried with him. And some just said, I don't know what to say. And my friend told me that that actually helped more than it hurt. What's the point? The point is just to be wise. To be wise when we exhort. Sometimes bringing consolation or bringing comfort is to be present, maybe even silent sometimes or careful with the words we say. And when appropriate, we use words. The Bible says when we use, we use words that are fit the occasion or words that fit the occasion. Well, in Barnabas' case, the gospel compelled him to go and to exhort. Barnabas was sent, and so he went. He went into the darkness where lost souls were to urge people to know Christ to come to healing in Jesus Christ. Well, we've looked at Barnabas. That's who we looked at today. We looked at Barnabas. That's who Luke, Luke has for us. He's an example, an example of someone who was following the Savior, who responded out of love with his encouraging heart in so many tangible ways. And these are just some of them. Take a look at this list again. These are, looks like a to-do list, right? <clears throat> it's not. This is not a to-do list. And this sermon isn't about go do more, do better, please. Not at all. If we take anything at all 
from the life of Barnabas. It's his love for Jesus Christ and his love for the church, so much so that he relieved suffering, Barnabas did, because his Savior relieved suffering. That he saw potential in people because his Savior saw potential in people. That he handled conflict well. He worked through it and stayed on mission because his Savior did. And all the while, he strengthened souls. He brought the gospel to dark and desperate places. And that's why we looked at Barnabas today. So what? I pray and I hope that God is speaking to your heart using this example of this man Barnabas from long ago. What is he saying to your heart? A few things I'd like to point out is number one, I hope that you know that Christ loves you when you're in Christ, in his family. He has secured your future. You are secure. Know that. Take encouragement from that today. He loves you that much. And you know, the second thing is I've been in a lot of churches and what I have yet to find, I'm still searching for, is someone who reads minds. I haven't found that yet. I don't think anybody like that exists. So if you're going through a struggle, if you need encouragement today, let somebody know. Ask them for prayer. Ask them for prayer. Ask them for help. Also, is God speaking to you today about some things you have in your life or some time you have in your life that maybe you can go and relieve suffering in someone's life? Is there a, a conflict that you can bring grace and humility into that you can be the encourager in the middle of? Is that happening? If it's not happening now, it will. You'll get that opportunity, I'm sure. You can also encourage somebody in faith today. Do you know a brother or sister or maybe a young person a child even, who's a little down, maybe struggling in their faith, you can be their encourager. Maybe you're a parent. Maybe it's your own child. Someone needs encouragement today. The last thing that I think about in these so what's for me is this word, and remember this please, invite. It's one of my favorite words. Do you like being invited to a party? How did that make you feel the last time somebody invited you to a party or invited you in? Doesn't that feel great? Maybe you can invite somebody to coffee sometime or maybe to a soccer game or to a play. Maybe there's a play going on in the community and you want to go to a play or your kid's in a play and you want to invite somebody to do that. Or how about inviting somebody to church so people can see, and maybe they've never been in church, what it means to know God, to love God, and to be part of the family of God. Think about inviting somebody. You can encourage somebody in that way today. Well, Barnabas, he was a Christian. Well, not a super Christian. I still haven't found one of those yet. But he needed forgiveness as well. You may not know, but Scripture at one point actually called him a hypocrite. So Barnabas, like Paul, like John Mark, like myself, like all of us really need forgiveness. So we're going to celebrate here in a moment what our Lord Jesus has done on the cross for us. We're going to take communion together. If you don't have the cup yet, there's cups straight back in front of me and over the column to my left. You can go get one now. There's also communion cups to the far right column. Um, you don't need to open them now. We'll open them a little later and we'll take the bread and we'll take the cup. 
after I read scripture a little bit later. But during this time, as we come to communion, we think about what our Lord Jesus Christ has done on the cross, the full penalty and payment for our sins. The judgment that we deserved, Christ took on the cross, spilt his blood for the forgiveness of our sins for all who will believe in Jesus will be cleaned and will be saved and will be forgiven. And three days later, he rose again from the grave. So if you're with us today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, even if you're not someone from this church, but Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to take communion with us. But if you're here today and you're not sure about Jesus and who he is, or if he's your personal Lord and Savior, then I invite you instead to come talk to me after service or talk to one of the people on staff at Village Church, and we'd love to talk to you about what it means to have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, to have your sins forgiven for all eternity, and to be with him in heaven. That would be great. So what we're going to do now is take a few moments of silence. This is a fantastic time for you to just remember what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection to save you, to cleanse you, to make you whole. And time to confess your sins also. Let's do that now.